As I told you earlier in the service, I've been um, studying different theologies over the last number of weeks. And um, some of them I agree with in part. Some of them I agree with in whole. Some of them I disagree with completely. And that's okay. Because if you look around the room, you'll probably find that even though we all attend the same church, there are many of you in this room who hold a different view of God from people in this church, include myself included. I probably say things at times that you, you're like, what? About what? That, I, no, I don't believe that. And that's okay as long as it's not an essential to our faith. Because we all have to agree that there is only one God. Amen. We all have to agree that he represents to us as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We all have to understand that the father willingly gave up his son so that we could have our sins forgiven. By the blood of Christ, we are cleansed. By the death and resurrection of Christ, we have the hope of eternal life. These are non-negotiable to the Christian faith. Now, whether or not you immerse, sprinkle, or pour happens to, do a, happens to be a practice of baptism. It doesn't necessarily affect the cores of our faith. And so the things that we talk about that deal with the core issues, we all have to agree on. The things that are peripheral, that are non-essential to salvation, we can agree to disagree. We can, as long as we show Christian love one to another, we don't have to all say, well, it's exactly the same. Because honestly, if we all did exactly the same and followed along like robots, then there's the danger of having another Jonestown right up here in Two Rivers. And for those of you too young to understand what that comment means, back 30 years ago or 25 years ago, there was a, a Christian minister who had a, a church that he, find, he went off the deep end theologically and had all of his people follow him down to a place called Jonestown in Guyana. And they literally all committed a mass suicide because their preacher told them to. Okay? There should never come a time in your life where your pastor should have that type of control over you. Okay? It should only be that you know what God is telling you and hopefully your pastor is in sync with what God is telling you. And if ever that time comes, then you need to vote your pastor out of his position. Okay? And I'm saying that with my fingers pointing right at me. Now, having said that, we're going to look at some stuff this morning that is not going to offend you, I don't think. And I don't think it's going to be anything that, that is out of the ordinary. It's all biblical. It's all right out of the scriptures. But the question that I want to look at this morning is something that in 30 years of Christianity, no one has ever asked me. And I have struggled with this over this last week as I've reflected over it and talked with other people. And, and I've listened carefully as I've talked with people and heard what they've said. It was interesting. Your, your immediate responses told me where you were theologically and what your position was and how you understand the answer to this question. And so we may not all agree, and that's okay, because this is a non-essential thing to salvation. But one, one of the things, I mean, but what, what Paul said in this section um, that we're going to be looking at is he asked, uh, he prayed that God would fill the Ephesians. Okay, let's look first of all at the, uh, the chapter and verses that we're looking at. So if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And it's going to be verses 14 through 21. I'll read through this. We'll break it down a little bit verse by verse. And then we're going to focus mainly on verse 19. So 
Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Paul was praying for the Ephesians, and as we understand from what we've studied in the previous weeks, this letter to the Ephesians was actually a general letter to all Christians everywhere in all time. So these are Paul's words literally to this congregation. When he wrote it, it was a broadcast to all Christians. And so as we're reading this, he's saying, I am praying, verse 16, Paul said, I am praying that out of God's glorious riches, he strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Think about that. God, give me power through your spirit in my inner being. For what purpose? Next verse. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The whole reason that God sent his Holy Spirit on this earth was so that, so that uh, human beings would have a means of connecting with God one-on-one, anytime, place. If you remember, prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, if you wanted to go and worship God, you had to go to worship God. You either went to Jerusalem to the temple, or you could go to a place that you had set up. But you didn't just sit in your own space and go, hey God, I need to talk to you about something that's really bothering me. That wasn't how God related with people back then. You had to go to Him. You had to ceremonially prepare yourself and bring a sacrifice with you so that you'd be found acceptable. And that's what Paul is saying now has changed. By God's Holy Spirit, he's empowering you so that Christ can dwell in your hearts by faith and you will have this relationship. Now, he said, following that, verse 17, he said, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. This idea of rooted and established. It can go back to what Jesus taught when he taught the sermon, I mean, the the, the parable about the soils or the parable about the sower. Remember, he said the seed is the word of God being broadcast. Some of it falls on good soil. Some of it falls on rocky soil, some on thorny soil, some on the pathway. And only that which falls on the good soil is truly rooted and established firmly and grounded. We've just gone through our growing season here in Fairbanks. And Mary can tell you there were some plants that she planted that just didn't do well. Yeah? And Alma, well, Alma was kind of distracted a little bit. But those of you who did gardening, there were some things that you planted that they thrived. And there were some things that you planted that eh, didn't do so good. And it could have been that the light wasn't right. It could have been that the soil wasn't right. It could have been that the... But something prohibited the good, solid growth and healthy growth 
of the, of the plant that you put in. And there was not a whole lot that you could do about it. You could try to, to nurture it and do what you could. But at some point, you just have to say, you know, enough is enough. Abandon it. It's, it's, it needs to be pulled out, and we need to focus on that which is healthy. And so what Paul is saying here is he's I'm saying that I pray that you Christians would be rooted and established in the good soil of love. And that through that, you may have power with all the saints to be able to, dis- to discern or to grasp in your mind how long and wide and how long and high and deep is the start again. Wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know, look at this verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I pray that you being rooted and established in love, which is the love of Christ, would have the power through the Holy Spirit to know the unknowable. May God give you the ability to understand that which normal human beings can't know. How deep, how long, how high, how wide is God's love. And he says, I pray that not only are you given the ability to know and understand that, to grasp that, but I pray that you be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, I can understand. I can understand this knowing the unknowable. That, that makes sense to me. God empowers me through his Holy Spirit to understand or to grasp something that I normally couldn't understand or grasp. I can get that. But what does it mean when Paul says, I pray that you be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. Now, if you look at the Greek, which again, I am not a Greek scholar, but if you look at the Greek, the word that is translated filled and the word that is translated fullness have the same root. The word filled is the word pleiru or pleiroo. I don't know how to pronounce it. P-L-E-R-O-O. Pleiru or pleiroo. It means full or filled. And then fullness is pleiroma. So full or filled is pleiroo or pleiru. And then fullness, the state of being filled, is pleroma. What it says to us, though, is that the idea is that the, this, this concept that Paul is saying is, may you be filled to the, with the fullness of God. What does this fullness mean? And, and, and it's a play on words. And if you look at the different nuances of the word pleiroo or pleiru, it can mean full, filled, capacity. One that I love, compacted. You saw me with this thing. It was not physically possible for me to get the sand down in there. Had we had the right amount of time and and vibration machine, I could have gotten sand to go all the way down and fill all those cracks. It wasn't, we didn't have time. So that's why I used the water. But you can, you accomplish the same thing. But what we did here was we literally vacated all of the air out of that cylinder, filling it with substance. Okay. It was completely as full as is humanly possible. I couldn't get it any more full. 
Because you saw, as I was filling it, it finally began to overflow. Which said, to the best of my ability, that was filled to the measure with the fullness of the rocks, the sand, and the water. This request that Paul is making is saying, may you find yourselves empowered by God to know the love of God, how deep and wide and... uh, Yeah, it is. And... That God mushed down all of his fullness into you to the point where there's nothing left but his fullness. Paul said in another part of the scriptures, I die daily. And I truly believe what I tried to help the kids understand, and I know they're too young to really get all of that. But what I tried to get them to understand was this idea of a daily filling, a daily replenishing of the spirit. It's not that God leaves you. It's that you leak out. Okay, you're faulty. You are not a perfect vessel. Doesn't mean he can't use you, but you're not a perfect vessel. And so, and if you remember months ago, I talked about the idea of an artesian well. If you actually were just allowing him to fill you and overflow, that's this idea of being filled, filled to the fullness. Okay. So we've talked about what it means to be filled to the fullness. But he says, filled to the fullness of God. And when you say filled to the fullness of God, what does that mean? And I want to read to you a few scripture verses and then talk for just a few minutes about what I've been thinking about this week. Number one, Colossians chapter two, verse nine. And each of these words in these verses is still that same Greek word, pleiro or pleiru or pleiroma. Colossians 2 verse 9, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So Jesus was the human, the only human that we know of, in which the fullness of God lived in bodily form. We are filled with God, but Jesus, and this is where the mystery comes in, was fully human and fully God. We will never be fully God. We will always be fully human with God living in us. Jesus was fully human and fully God. But the idea was the fullness of the deity lived in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter, excuse me, look at John, the gospel of John chapter 1. Verse 16. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. So here we have an instance, here we have an understanding that you can be full of the deity, you can be full of grace. It's still God's grace. Ephesians 1 23. Which is, his bo- which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That, I should have included more. <laughs> Hold on just a second. Ephesians one twenty three. Okay. Paul says, I pray, verse 18 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. 
That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, for which his body, which is us, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the church, verses 22 and 23, the church is the body of Christ, he being the head. And the fullness of him, Christ, fills the church in every way. Okay? Are you, uh, are you following and tracking so far? Alright. Next one. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. We already read that, but I want to just state it again. Paul prayed that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge and that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then finally, Ephesians 4.13. Until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, what did we look at? First, Colossians 2.9. God, the fullness of God, can embody human beings. In that particular example, fully human and fully God. In our lives, fully human and God indwells. Okay? We don't become deity, God indwells. First John, I mean John chapter 1 verse 16, God's grace can be infilled into us. Ephesians 1:23, the church is filled with God. Because there's a purpose for it. Ephesians 3.19, that you may be filled. He prays to God. This man of God, the apostle, prayed that you would be filled. What does that say? It says it's possible. It wasn't something that happened back then and doesn't happen now. It is possible for all Christians to be filled with them to the measure of the fullness of God. And then finally, Ephesians 4.13 says that... Until, that, until we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness. So there's a sense of maturity. Okay? It is, it, is, it is normal for God's presence and God's fullness to come into humans. It is possible. It is expected. And it happens when you become mature in your faith. Okay? It is possible. It is expected. What was the other one? (laughs) And maturity. But there was one I forgot. Anyway, and the church. It's in the church. So it still didn't answer this. What is this that we're being filled with? I'm being filled with God's Holy Spirit. That's what Mary said to me yesterday. It's the fullness of the Spirit. Okay, I don't dispute that. What does that mean? It means God's spirit is in me. Okay, what does that mean? I don't know. It just means the spirit is in me. That's what I've always been taught. That's what I say. And I'm not making fun. I'm just saying that's the extent of the theology of most Christians. May God fill you with the fullness to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. Let it happen. So be it. What am I asking for? I don't know. 
I want the Spirit of God to fill me. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I, he is a guide. He is there present. Yes, the presence of God. Yes. But when you're asking to be filled, what is it that you're wanting to be filled with? I mean, literally, is, is it literally the Holy Spirit coming in and filling up and washing away? Okay. Love. Okay. Okay. You need to let go of you. Oh yeah. Well, Christ, but yeah. But isn't that the Spirit will fill as we are willing to fill by devoting ourselves to God? Yes. Yes. Sometimes it's coming in and taking over and doing something through you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is that He empowers you. He literally does through you. I've said it in the past that it's almost like possession where the Holy Spirit does through you and you're like, I'm not even aware. I'm not doing it. It's him doing it. You know, um, somebody said love. First John chapter four, verse eight, and then chapter four, verse 16 says, whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. And then in verse 16 says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And there are many scholars If you read commentary on this section, on Ephesians chapter 3, there are many scholars that say the whole emphasis of this is that Paul wants people to understand the depth of God's love and that they want to be filled with God's love. And that's an acceptable statement. Filled to the measure of the fullness of God means being filled with God, which God is love. So that means you're filled with love. But it also says in 1 John, same author, same letter, just earlier in the book, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 5, He said in that section of his letter, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So, am I being filled with the fullness of God? So does that mean I'm being filled with love? Or am I being filled with light? And can I be filled with both at the same time? Isn't it great studying theology and philosophy? Because you never can find the true answers. You just have to sort through it. Yeah. I'm sorry. Agape love. Yes, exactly. Selfless, God-filled love. Now, I would say that the most logical thing is probably that Paul was saying that you should be filled to the fullness with God's love. But I also think that it's likely that he would say it's, it's appropriate to say that you should be filled with God's grace, God's mercy, God's peace, God's caring. I'm sorry. God's understanding. The full embodiment and characteristics of God. Mm-hmm. He took time to understand the other person, whether they differed from him or not, whether they believed in him or not, whether they wronged him or not, whether they committed crimes or not. He took the time to understand 
reaching out to people we don't know. Putting the rocks in the jar one at a time. Okay. What it talk expound that. It would have taken a long time to fill up all that space to the point you were willing to call it full. That's an excellent point, Beverly. That is an excellent point. You use the word process. And let me let me expound on that. This um, this jar that we filled, the, 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 the model, the intent, is that you're supposed to fill the, 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 the glass with sand. You know, after you've got the rocks in, after you've got the gravel in, then you do sand. And, and I was pretty sure that it was not going to work in the setting of uh, being here, not having a, a vibrating tool, uh, the glass being possibly broken, all of that. So that's the reason I had the water ready, just in case the sand wasn't cooperative. But the reality is, it's just like you just said, it's a process. When this empty vase, this empty cylinder, had rocks in it, just the big rocks, can you liken that to receiving Christ into your life for the very first time? You receive God, the rock, who becomes a stabilizing force in your life, and he fills you. Now, yes, it wasn't completely compacted, smooshed down, play roo filling, but he was in there. He was present. He wasn't going anywhere. So it was real. It was valid. And then as the process of living day by day with God in your life as Bob said, there's no one that has ever lived that is fully, completely devoted to God. But as you mature in your faith, this process of living with God day by day, you release more to him. And so you can liken that to the gravel filling in the voids. The more you allow the gravel to come in to fill the voids, the less of you there is and the more there is of God filling you. But even after you've completely apparently filled this with all the fullness of God, you can really look carefully and see there are still small, tiny little areas of void. And our universe doesn't like voids, so we fill voids with something. And if it's not filled with God, it gets filled with something and so you will fill that part of your life with something other than God unless you release it to God in your daily walk. And I think that's what Paul was saying that I tried to allude to with the kids earlier where I said, Paul said in the, in the book of Corinthians, I die daily and I plead with God for a re." Filling, if you will. So it's like shaking, taking me and just putting me in that pressure, vibrating, trying to get all of God into all the parts, compact and switching, and realizing, man, there's still more that needs to be filled back up with. Please, God, don't let anything of this earth or me fill the void. You fill it. I release it to you. And it's a process day by day. There are times in your life of crisis. The time, first of all, when you enter into a crisis is when you recognize that you as a human being have sinned against the Almighty One. You have violated Him. You have offended Him. And there must be reparations. 
And the only way you can make it right is to say, I'm sorry, I confess, I repent, and I ask Jesus to cleanse me of my sin and fill me with your righteousness, God. And that's like getting the rocks in there. You've entered into the relationship. He's in there, but he's not pleroing you. You don't have the fullness of God in you yet. You just have God in you. As you walk that walk on a daily basis, trying to live the way God wants you to live, trying to understand what the scriptures say, trying to become what it means, learn what it means to become a Christian, try to become what Paul said, to understand this love that has now entered into my life. It's a mystery. We'll never fully understand it, but to just grasp the unknowable. God, help me, empower me. As you're walking that walk, as you're maturing, then you come to a point in your walk where you recognize, you know, I like Paul said in chapter 7 of Romans, I try, but I find myself doing exactly the opposite of what I know I'm supposed to be doing. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And God goes, I will, if you'll let me. And that's the second crisis that Christians come to. The first crisis of belief is recognizing a need for a savior. The second crisis of belief is recognizing a need for a Lord. The one who will fill you with his spirit so that his spirit will empower you. Kind of like this idea of possession where it's not you working, it's God working. And where you're no longer dealing with all of the stresses and struggles of me, 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 self, 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 me, me, I, I, I. You can literally allow that spirit to fill those voids. But then what happens? Because most of us get saved and sanctified. Those are the technical terms. Most of us get saved and sanctified early on in our walk. So we're ready to go home now. No, because as we read earlier, the body, the church, is supposed to be filled with the fullness of God for a reason. It's so that the kingdom of God can be advanced, so that the principles and purposes of God can be lived out and proclaimed to the people who live out there who don't know the truth, and you're the ones doing that. How? By the fullness of God living in you. And when you recognize through your quiet time or through your daily walk, where either through carelessness or through trials or through any other pressures that have come in on you, you've allowed some of His Holy Spirit to quote-unquote leak out because you weren't careful, then you need to get on your face before him again and say, God, again, I need you. Whatever needs to happen, press, compact, mush, get yourself down into the deep recesses of who I am. Do not let me fill the void. You fill the void, God. And that is known as progressive sanctification. From the time that you are saved and sanctified until the time that God calls you into glory, though that process is a daily walk with him called progressive sanctification, becoming more and more and more like Christ, taking on more of the image of God. And so the question that I have is, how do you know that you're not full? I mean, the goal being, Paul said, you should be filled to, the, filled to the fullness of God. Paul said, and we showed you through the scriptures that it's possible, it's expected, it's, it's, it's possible, it's practical, it's expected, and you can, you can tell when it's not there, but how can you tell that it's not there? Huh? Anybody? Perhaps choices. Choices, okay. There's, huh? 
attitudes. So there's a there, so the, there's manifestation. Manifestation, okay. God tells you through your inter, interaction with Him. But there should be a way that I could look. Yes, Melanie. There's filled. There's no more need. That's a good point. That's interesting. We should. We could ponder that. True. Yeah, I agree. I, I not on this earth. You were going to say something, John? I, I think it's like um, when when you're fully filled with with, with God, you you're going to stop having your desires. You want this. You want that. It will be more, I want to do what God asked me to do. Okay. I, I think as you grow, grow up, you're going to see that. But if you're not fully full, I don't think you're going you're gonna to get rid of that desire of me until you get rid of it. One of the things that I want to emphasize, because I, I've been prayerfully trying to discern this for my, as I've reflected over the last number of weeks and months of my preaching. I want you to understand and hear that this effort of trying to be like Christ is not your job. Your job is to let go. Your job is to submit. Your job is to allow the Holy Spirit to work and empower you. Okay? So, one of the... I'm sorry? Back to the verse that Emily quoted. Exactly. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And the same thing goes with sanctification. Allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you. It is an act of faith on your part. It is not an effort that you have to do. You don't have to fill out a checklist of things and make sure you've done all of these things. And now you can say, I'm now filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have any particular... Um, manifestation of the Holy Spirit to prove that you have the Holy Spirit. There is one thing, however, that I can know as your pastor, I can look at you and know if you are filled to the fullness of God, even at this moment. How can I know that? And how could other Christians or other people in the world know just by looking at you? I don't mean physically, but I mean observing your life. Your spirit knows. Okay. Two things. Spirit to spirit, and you said fruit. Let me read to you these verses. But the fruit of the Spirit, I'm reading Galatians 5, 22 to 26. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against any of these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And they live by the Spirit, keeping step with the Spirit, not becoming envious, not becoming conceited, not provoking each other. I can look at your life and I can know if you are living in pleroo, if you're living in the full, compacted fullness of God, or if you have allowed yourself or something else to creep Back into your world. Because if I don't see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in every single one of you to some degree, then it's evidence that there's something lacking in you. It's evidence that you're not allowing God's Holy Spirit to have access to part of your life. 
It's possible that maybe there's an area of harm where you have been seriously harmed by someone and you refuse to let it go. You hold on to it for all you're worth. And in that, maybe there isn't goodness or kindness or gentleness displayed because of this root of bitterness that you hold on to. Maybe you have an anxiety or a fear. Maybe you were terribly, terribly poor as a child and you have a fear, even to this day, of not having enough food and not having enough provisions to live your life. I mean, if you've ever read the book Call of the Wild by Jack London, there's the point where he gets rescued and he's on that boat and he's got all that he needs available to him and he's hoarding crackers in his bed. Because he's just so afraid that he doesn't want to ever let anything like that ever happen to him again. And there's the possibility that maybe something like that has happened to you. Where you have just been so harmed that you're fearful. If you could release it to God, he would fill you with peace. And you would no longer have to deal with that. So it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. You're a Christian. But there, it's possible for us to not be living in this pleroo filling in our Christianity. Because we don't release to God that which he wants to take and cleanse and heal. And fill with his own presence. And empower you. And the enemy, I guarantee you, the enemy is always looking for the way to touch that button. Because if he can touch that button and throw you, trip you up, cause you to mess up. Then he wins a victory and Christianity gets a black eye in the name of the community. And you feel guilty, which I don't see guilt in any of these fruits of the spirit. It's a process. It is a way that God deals with us day by day by day. He wants you to live In the fullness of God. At all times. And it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of you simply saying. God I release to you. Whatever it is that you're talking to me about. It is yours. Take it from me. And fill the void with your spirit. So that I'm empowered to live the life you call me to live. That's it. It's a matter of faith. You don't have to work out this stuff. He does it for you by faith. I told uh, the worship team that I wanted to sing one song as we close out our time. And and if if they're able to, I'd like them to come on up and sing with me. If not, that's okay. Um, But we're going to sing this this last song. I don't want you to sing. I'm going to sing. Bob's going to play. But if God is talking to you right now about anything where you recognize that you're not living in this fullness at this point. There's stuff that you've allowed to crowd out the opportunity for God to compact down deep into your life. This is your opportunity to let go, to release it, and to ask God to heal and to bring the power to overcome through His Spirit. I just ask right now, Father, in Your name, in the name of Jesus, that You would have Your way amongst us, that You would bless That you would empower, that you would cleanse, that you would bring healing, 
that you would fill. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. And at this moment, we submit to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.